Hello, Night Church. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, then allow me to be the first to introduce myself. My name is Olivia. A lot of people call me Liv. Um, a bit about me. I've just finished my degree this year. Woohoo! Very exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I did a Bachelor of Science majoring in Physiology, which is basically just a fancy word for I learned how the human body works. And I'll be starting a job in the new year, which is pretty cool. Other than nerding out over science things, I really enjoy having time to be creative and to read and to get outside in nature. And I've been coming to this place, Crossroads, ever since I was a little baby. So it's really special to be um, at home with you guys and to be able to open God's word and just share amongst friends and family. So last week, like Isaac said, Trista brought us a message called Behold the Son. And she talked about the miraculous arrival of Jesus and how his birth and how Mary and Joseph handled the whole situation teaches us to remember what God has done, trust that God is working in our current moment and have hope that God will continue to be who he has always been and will work out our future for good. And tonight our topic is Behold the Messenger. And we are going to take a look at when Jesus begins his ministry and the message that he brought. And you might be thinking, well, Liv, I love Jesus and I love learning about him, but what does the growing, full-size man Jesus have to do with Christmas? Isn't Christmas just about baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and angels? Well, one thing I didn't mention when I introduced myself is that I'm a fan of Christmas music. Any other Christmas music fans out here? Yeah? Not too early, mind you, otherwise you kind of reach saturation point too quick. But I love a bit of Mariah, a good rendition of Oh Holy Night, or a bit of Frank Sinatra Christmas. But one of my favorite Christmas carols is one called Mary Did You Know? And I love it because although Christmas is all those things I just mentioned, it is baby Jesus, the shepherds, the angels, Mary and Joseph, it is more than just the arrival of a baby. Christmas changes everything. And the, um, the song has beautiful lyrics that talk about what this baby Jesus goes on to do. The last verse in the song says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding, he is the great I am. This one day, this seemingly ordinary day, changed the course of history. The birth of this squishy baby marks the beginning of God's redemption plan for humanity and is the launching pad for a very exciting and action-packed story as the beautiful kingdom of heaven comes to meet a broken and hurting world. Looking at Jesus' life and his ministry helps the Christmas story to make sense and gives weight and meaning to the arrival of that tiny infant. When we look at what Jesus goes on to do for us, celebrating his arrival is that much more precious and significant. So today, we are going to be looking at Jesus as the messenger and the earth-shattering, world-altering, your life will never be the same kind of news that he brought. But before we get to this very important message, we're going to have a read of our passage for today, which is from Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. In what we're about to read, we have a man named John, who I guess you could say is the messenger for the messenger. He is preparing the people for Jesus and the message that he had to bring. It's kind of like a soft launch for Jesus' message. So if you want to follow along with me, we're going to be reading in Matthew 3, starting at verse 1. It'll also be on the screen. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, 
Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Whew. Now, that passage probably should have come with a spoiler alert, because as we'll come to see soon, John has just told us the message that Jesus was coming to bring. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The reign of God is here, not yet in fullness, but here. This is good news. This is the earth-shattering, world-altering, your life will never be the same kind of news. As Trista touched on last week, after 400 years of silence from God, not a word or a whisper, God starts to move and speak. First through the preparation and arrival of baby Jesus, and now a new prophet arrives on the scene. John boldly announces that the Lord is coming and begins to prepare the way for him. After years of waiting for their king to come and deliver them, John has the great joy of telling the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what do we see happen next? People come to John from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan to confess their sins and be baptized. Thousands and thousands of people were beginning to prepare themselves for the arrival of a mighty and noble king. They wanted to get right with God before he brought his judgment and his powerful reign. But the king who they thought was coming and the king who came are two different people. Instead, they got this man named Jesus who began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus did not bring his kingdom through an army of mighty warriors and epic battles, but rather he healed the sick, he loved the lost, and he restored the broken. Jesus couldn't have been more different to who they were expecting. In Matthew's gospel alone, this idea of the kingdom that Jesus began to talk about is mentioned over 50 times, and the entirety of the gospels is Jesus conveying to us what this kingdom looks like and how we should live in it. So tonight, we're going to unpack together what the kingdom of heaven is, how Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven, and then what this means for us. So, what is the kingdom of heaven? Now, to truly understand the concept of the kingdom of heaven and why Jesus so passionately talked about it, we need to go right back to the beginning, for this concept is woven through the entirety of the biblical narrative. Now, when we think of the word kingdom, we think of a physical place. The English definition for kingdom is a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or queen. In the Bible, though, the Greek and Hebrew words for kingdom don't describe a place, but rather an action or an activity, the idea of a king ruling over his people. So in theory, you could translate Jesus' message of the kingdom of heaven has come near to the reign of God is here. And other than perhaps the British monarchy, I don't think many of us are really super familiar with how kingdoms and ruling and reigning work. It's not super common language to us. But you'd be surprised to know that although the concept of ruling and reigning may seem foreign, it's actually very tightly woven into our being of who we are and what we were created to do. 
We first see this concept of ruling and reigning in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. After God has made the land, the sea, the birds, the fish, and all other aspects of creation, he says this as he comes to make humans. In Genesis 1 verse 26, it reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. In other versions it says, so that it may have dominion or reign. When God creates humanity, he gives us the task, the purpose of ruling over the earth. As part of our very nature, we were created to make something of the world God gave us. From the very beginning of the world, God created us to partner with him, to be his representatives on this earth, ruling and reigning with him. The Almighty King didn't just want subjects, but co-rulers, people he could have relationship and partnership with. But like any kingdom, the ones who rule can use the power they have for good, ensuring that the whole kingdom thrives, or they can use their power for evil, to oppress and create injustice. And because God was not looking for little slaves or robots that he could control from afar to do his hard work, he let us have the ability to choose what kind of rulers we would be. And if you're familiar with the rest of the story of Genesis, you'll know that we chose to define good and evil for ourselves instead of coming under God's authority. We rebelled against God in the good and perfect way he chose to rule his kingdom and decided that we wanted to create our own kingdom. But God's perfect and holy kingdom could not coexist with our broken and imperfect one. And so God sent the first people, Adam and Eve, out of the garden, out of the perfect kingdom and into the world. We still carry the image of the creator God, but now it is warped and twisted and bent out of shape. And so when we look around humanity and we look back through history, we can see that as people created in the image of God, we are capable of a lot of good and beautiful things. We make music and art, we've created culture and civilizations, we've built technology, raised families, discovered medicine and more. But when we choose to create and rule our own kingdoms instead of the perfect and holy one that God had in mind, these same hands and brains that are capable of so much beauty are also the ones responsible for slavery, racism, violence, poverty and oppression. But thankfully God didn't give up on his dream to have his kingdom dwell here and his desire to be in relationship with us and have us rule over creation in partnership with him. Time after time, as we track through the story of the Bible, we see God faithfully and patiently calling individuals, families, and even an entire people group to come back to him and restore this partnership and bring his kingdom to earth. But Adam, Abraham, and the people of Israel couldn't do it. They failed miserably to rule in a way that brought life and wholeness. You see, outside of God's authority and leadership, we humans really aren't so good at this ruling and reigning business. And so that's where we come back to our passage today, where Jesus comes onto the scene. God sent his son Jesus to be the human and type of ruler that we were made to be. And God did not send his son to earth in a way that seems at all logical. It would make sense that if you were trying to regain control of a kingdom that had gone astray or turned to chaos, you would send an army or start a massive campaign of some sort. And when the king or the ruler arrived, you would expect it to be loud and bold and assertive, that it would be impossible to miss. But as we talked about last week, God sent, God of, the God of the universe sent his son as a baby. The one that was supposed to save all mankind came quietly and humbly. And so many people missed it. 
And even when the supposed king grew and came of age, he still did not announce or assert his kingdom by force. What was his message instead? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And how does he bring his kingdom? By restoring sight to the blind, setting the captive free, raising the dead, and eating and hanging with the scum of society. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The reign of God is here. This is good news. So how does Jesus bring the kingdom? Following on from the passage that we read today, Jesus begins to preach the message of the kingdom and display what it means to live and to rule in a God-honoring and people-loving way. A big way that Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven is by meeting people where they are at and addressing their physical need. Be that healing for a sickness or disease, filling hungry bellies, ensuring that there was wine at a wedding banquet, raising the dead, multiplying food or resources, or providing safety in a storm. This king cares deeply about the welfare of his people and about all aspects of their lives. What kind of king would care about the death of one child in a kingdom of hundreds of thousands of people? Jesus would. What kind of king would touch the man with a contagious disease to heal him and make him clean? Jesus would. This is no ordinary king bringing no ordinary kingdom. Jesus also mentors, guides, and instructs. From the moment Jesus is baptized, he begins to gather a small group of people that he can build up, encourage, and then send out to continue sharing the message of the kingdom. We also see Jesus spend time teaching not only large groups of people about the things of the kingdom, but also taking time to invest in individuals, to speak life over their situations and input into their lives. What kind of king is humble enough that he would pour time and energy into his people, wanting the best for them and giving them the knowledge and nurture that they need to follow him? That's Jesus. Now this next one might not seem so obvious when we think about Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, but he takes time to rest and to pray. Jesus takes time to be with his father in a quiet place on his own. The man was fully God, and yet he took time to be with the creator, to be refreshed and encouraged by him. Jesus knew that bringing the kingdom was not something he could do on his own, but that he would need the help of his father. Jesus also recognized the importance of rest and made this a priority. He knew that he couldn't pour from an empty cup. What kind of king honors and encourages a healthy culture of rest and takes time to be still before his father without distractions? Jesus would. But he doesn't just stop at all those things. Jesus also saw the condition of our heart and came to restore us, meeting our spiritual need. God knew that to truly have his kingdom reign on this earth, he would need to get rid of all the brokenness, the hurt, the bad things, the wrongdoing, the sin that has created a divide between humanity and the Lord Almighty. He knew that he would need to liberate his, king, um, his people from the kingdoms that we have created for ourselves by confronting evil and inviting us to live under his reign once again. This Jesus, though, is again no ordinary king. Where kings and queens of this world are enthroned through ceremony or grandeur, our king was tried and executed, enthroned on a cross. What kind of king sacrifices himself before his kingdom was even established? Jesus would. But he didn't stay dead. Our king rose victorious over sin and death. Jesus is alive. And with that triumphant victory, he restored the relationship between us and God, allowing us to be invited to rule and to reign with him again once more. 
And so now, as followers of Jesus, we too can bring the kingdom of heaven wherever we go, spreading hope and love to a lost and hurting world. The reign of God is here. This is good news. With Jesus claiming victory over sin and death, his job was complete. It was time for him to return to his Father for now. But he didn't leave us alone. He sent his Spirit to lead and guide us. But even after Jesus returned to heaven, the kingdom of God was and still is here. It is not here in fullness, but it is here. As redeemed and restored people, we now carry the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not found just in heaven, but also among his people. As people created in the image of God, we are able to be his representatives on earth, ruling and reigning on his behalf. Although God has made a way for us to join his kingdom, The world does not yet submit to God's rule. And so we find ourselves in this weird place where the kingdom is here and now, but it is not yet fully arrived until Jesus returns again one day to bring the kingdom in its entirety. Think of it like this. There's heaven, there's earth, and then there's this little space where the two overlap. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is here. Not yet in its entirety, but it is here. And so how do we live in this tension of this now but not yet kingdom? What do we do when the sick aren't healed, when the captive isn't set free, and when the dead aren't raised? What do we do when we can't seem to see where and how God is moving? I think Trista so beautifully addressed how we can respond to times of tension and waiting in our lives. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message if you haven't. But essentially it is this. We remember what God has done in the past, that he is good and that he is faithful. We trust what he is doing in the now, and we have hope for what is to come, knowing that God is still good and still faithful no matter what the outcome is. And I'll admit, this this holy tension, this little pocket where the two overlap, it's tough, but it's also incredibly beautiful. And so it's my prayer that as we live in this in-between space, that God would give us eyes to see what he is doing, and how he is working, and then the courage and the strength to have hope for the future that is to come, that one day Jesus is going to return, and his kingdom will come in its fullness and its completeness. So, I guess the question then becomes, well, what does this mean for us? This message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, it's good news, it changes everything. You may have heard it before, but the Greek word for repent was a military word that meant to do a complete 180, a total change of direction. And in the spiritual sense, repentance is very much similar. It means to have a complete change of heart or attitude. That means that once we were heading in one direction, speaking certain things, having certain behaviors, that now we are heading in a new direction, seeking to live a life that honors God and gives glory to him. In the passage that we read today, John tells some of the religious leaders that repentance has to be more than just lip service. We can't just say we want to follow Jesus. We must also follow through with our actions. The message that Jesus brings of the kingdom, it should lead us to repentance. The way that God loves us so deeply and has shown so much kindness and mercy to us should, change, should cause us to want to change the way that we live. And will we get this perfect or correct 100% of the time? No, absolutely not. But thankfully, we have a king who is so gracious and patient with us as we learn what it means to follow him and serve his kingdom. And now, if you're anything like me, you've probably gone to this point and you're thinking, yes, I want to repent. I want to change the way that I live to align with the kingdom. But how do I, a student, a teacher, a builder, a salesman, you fill in the blank, how do I bring the kingdom? 
how am I supposed to be a co-ruler with Jesus? And to answer your question, I first want to address something that we'll call the spiritual and the secular divide. I think in the church, and when I say the church, I'm making a generalization here, we, myself included, often get confused about our purpose and our calling. We go through life wondering what the heck it is we're supposed to do with our lives, and we wait for this sign from heaven or a big booming voice saying, live, go to live in, I'm not sure why that was the first place that came to mind, and preach the gospel or something. And as a young person who has been on the journey myself of navigating what my future will look like in terms of study choices or career options, I am definitely no stranger to the internal wrestle of not wanting to be outside the will of God or worrying about making a wrong decision or hoping that God would just like send me an email or something telling me what I should do with my life. But funnily enough, our purpose and the reason we were created is actually really simple, to love God and to make disciples. And by doing both of those things, we are bringing the kingdom and are ruling and reigning with him. That's it. And this can be done wherever we are and no matter what we do. I think so often we divide our lives into the things we class as spiritual and the things we class as secular. For example, reading the Bible, praying, going to connect group, church on Sunday, all spiritual. Hanging with friends, eating, sleeping, work, unless maybe you work for a church or something, all secular. But the problem with that way of thinking is that 95% of our lives are filled with ordinary, non-spiritual things. Does this mean that unless you work in a church or are a missionary or have some sort of religious vocation that you can't bring the kingdom of heaven? I don't think so. When you look at Jesus' life and his message of kingdom living, we've seen today that the kingdom is 24-7. There is no divide between the spiritual and the secular. All day, every day, we are living in the kingdom. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then yes, it is our job to make disciples and share the gospel. But we are also bringing the kingdom when we reflect the creator in all that we do. No matter if you're an engineer or a scientist or a mum or a checkout operator at the supermarket, all our lives have potential to give glory to God and show what his kingdom is like. Remember that before Jesus began even preaching that the kingdom of heaven had come near, he was a builder or a carpenter or what we might call a tradie for years. Does that mean that because he was living an ordinary life that he must not have been living in the ways of the kingdom? Of course not. Though Jesus' life would have looked pretty ordinary in those years, I imagine that based on who we know Jesus to be, that he would have still been bringing the kingdom and reigning with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and love. Perhaps it just looked a little different in that season. So how do we bring the kingdom in the 95% of normal and secular and supposedly non-Jesus-y parts of life? We love God and we make disciples in whatever space God has placed us in this current season and we do our best with God's help to be a reflection of him in all that we do. For example, because God is hardworking, we work joyfully and with excellence. Because God is joyful and eager to help, we should have a cheerful attitude in all we do and be proactive when a need arises. Because God is honest and true, so we should also be full of integrity in all aspects of our life, doing what is right even when no one is watching. It means that just as God took time to rest from his work, so we should also respect and honour the Sabbath, making time to be with our Creator and recharge. Just as Jesus spent time with his Heavenly Father, we should also take time to be alone with God. And that's just some of the aspects of God and some of the ways we see Jesus living the kingdom. We don't have to have a super spiritual job to bring the kingdom, 
but rather we can share the message of the kingdom and live for Jesus in the ordinary and in the mundane of life. With Jesus at the center of it all, everything we do can bring glory and honor to him. This Christmas, we celebrate not only the arrival of our Savior, but the arrival of our King, and with him, the kingdom of heaven. Yes, this day is about the birth of a little squishy baby, but it also marks the beginning of God's redemption plan for the entirety of humanity. Maybe Mary didn't know all that her son would go on to do, but we know. And so at Christmas, we celebrate that God is a kind and merciful God, that even though we would rebel against him and choose not to be a part of his good and perfect kingdom, he loved us so much that he would send his son, his only son, to claim victory over evil and bring peace, wholeness, and thriving through his rule and reign. This one day, this seemingly insignificant and ordinary day, changed the course of history. And now we have the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom, to be in relationship with this majestic and holy king and bring little pockets of heaven to a dark and hurting world. We have Jesus' royal blood coursing through our veins, and we've all been created in wonderful and different ways to reflect the goodness and beauty of our creator. But now it's up to us to choose. Will we join the kingdom? Will we live in relationship with Jesus and live a life that brings glory to him? What will we do with this message that Jesus brought, this earth-shattering, world-altering, our lives will never be the same kind of news? Will we let this message change the way that we live? Behold the messenger and his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The reign of God is here. How will we respond? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are such an intentional and kind God, that you are a God who wants to be in relationship with us and who cares about all the little details of our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that your kingdom is here, that you are alive. Father, as we think about your kingdom and what this means for us, would you lead us to repentance? Would you soften our hearts, Jesus, and change us to be more like you? We thank you and we praise you for all you have done for us and pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.